Well, as we continue our Advent journey, exploring the great promise that God has made to us in Jesus Christ, let me invite you to turn for the second week in a row to the prophet Isaiah, a passage we have already heard spoken once this morning in the lighting of the Advent wreath. But let's turn again to Isaiah, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Therefore, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, one of the characteristics of modern life is that we no longer know how to wait on anything. It's been decades since we could imagine a kitchen without a microwave oven, but now there are new devices that can do the work of a slow cooker in half the time. That's the whole point. It's a slow cooker. We order a new bedroom suit from Amazon, and then we get frustrated if it takes it more than 48 hours to show up at our front door. And if waiting for the suspense is just too much for you, you can now binge watch an entire season's worth of your favorite shows in one afternoon. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that, but it all tends to obscure the fact that, well, waiting is an unavoidable and inescapable part of human life. Just think of how much time we spend waiting, waiting for the light to change, waiting for the check to arrive waiting for the sickness to heal, 
waiting for the wayward child to come home. So much time in life spent just waiting. And what makes it even worse is that when we are waiting, most often there is very little we can do to speed up or manufacture the outcome we're wanting. It won't happen until it happens. I mean, you can check the tracking number on that package all you want, but it's not going to show up at your door any faster. You can inch your car forward at the intersection thinking that'll trigger the light to change. And we've all done it, but it doesn't work. Or how about this one? You turn on the hot water at the sink in the kitchen, and when the water first starts flowing, it's cold. So what do you do? You stick your finger under it and go like this real fast, thinking that that's going to cause it to heat up quicker. But it doesn't. These things will not happen until they happen. And all we can do is wait. what the season of Advent is all about. Advent is a time of year when the church has to learn all over again what it means to wait. More specifically, we have to learn how to wait on God. Now, Advent, it's a word that you will not find in your Bible. I'll go ahead and tell you that. But then again, you won't find the word Christmas in your Bible either. These are Names that the church came up with to attach to seasons that highlight certain themes that we believe the scriptures teach. Advent is a Latin word that means arrival or appearance. In Advent, the church waits on the arrival of God. Now, in the long and complex history of the church, Advent has taken on two points of focus. One looks back in time, back to that time long ago when God's people waited for the coming of the promised Messiah, a promise that was fulfilled with the arrival of Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. The other point of focus, and this can be easily lost in the rush and the sentimentality of the season, but the other point of focus of Advent is to point us ahead in time, to anticipate that moment when Christ will come again to bring fulfillment to what he started. But either way you turn, to the past or to the future, we're still left with the waiting. Let's turn first to the past. Let's go back for a moment in our minds to that time when God's people were waiting on the first coming, the first advent of the Messiah. The words of Isaiah that we read just a moment ago take us right into the heart of that season. Now, last week we talked about the historical circumstances under which Isaiah wrote this portion of the book that bears his name. And I won't bore you this morning by repeating the history lesson, but let's just suffice it to say that it was a time of great confusion and chaos and uncertainty There was division within the kingdom of Israel. It had split into half, a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom, and they were in conflict with one another, and the threat of civil war was looming on the horizon. 
And added to that, there were threats outside of Israel pressing in, particularly in the form of the Assyrian Empire. And everything, as complicated as it was, was made worse by the fact that Israel's leaders kept making bad decisions. They ignored God's clear commands. They led mostly from a state of spiritual blindness, and they behaved in ways that were rash and impulsive, which in turn only took a bad situation and made it worse. Well, that was the environment, that was the world, that was the season into which God spoke the words that we read a moment ago. When God begins to speak through the prophet of a promise about something that he was going to do, something that would make the ears of everyone who heard it tingle and their hearts turn over in their chest. Through the prophet, God promised the day was coming when he was going to raise up for his people a new leader, a new king, who would function in a fundamentally different kind of way. And this new leader, this coming king, would lead his people out of the chaos and the confusion and the darkness and into a season of of joy and freedom. He said this new king would sprout from the stump of Jesse, which is a poetic way of saying that he would be a descendant of David, Israel's great king. And in this particular passage, God identifies several characteristics of this coming leader. But to really understand the significance of those characteristics, we have to really see them in contrast to the current situation in which they found themselves. Whereas Israel's current leaders kept making boneheaded and foolish decisions, acting out of fear and panic, Isaiah said this coming leader would act on the basis of wisdom and understanding. It doesn't just mean he would be smart. It means he would be able to discern truth and then apply that truth in practical ways to the actions and the choices that he made, which would actually lead the people forward into a better place. Whereas their current leaders had that all-too-human tendency to act on the basis of, of bias and prejudice, judging on the basis of appearance, filtered through their own human preferences, this coming leader would judge on the basis of true justice and righteousness, which would mean that both the weak and the powerful, both the rich and the poor, would receive the same fair treatment on the basis of truth and justice. Whereas their current leaders spoke with words that often carried double meaning and hidden motives, saying one thing but really meaning another and never really able to be trusted fully, This coming leader would speak so clearly and so powerfully that the truth of his words would be obvious to everybody. The current leader seemed to be unable to bring about a condition of peace. There were always wars or at least rumors of wars. But this coming leader would bring a peace that was so pervasive that even the animal world would enjoy it. 
predators and prey, we are told, would lie down together without attacking one another. And a child could play near a poisonous snake without fear because under this new king's leadership, the entire created order would be at peace with itself. Most importantly, Isaiah said this coming leader would be godly that he would delight in the fear of God. This means he would always place God's presence and God's will at the center of everything. Whereas their current leaders kept leading them down the path of idolatry and unfaithfulness, this coming one, this promised Messiah, would make the right worship of God the center of gravity for the people's lives together. If you listen closely, you can almost hear the echoes of Eden in these words. Truth, justice, peace, harmony, godliness. These are all elements of the paradise that God intended when he first called the world into existence. And here is God through the prophet Isaiah, promising that there is a day coming when he would bring about that very kind of world, a world which looked radically different from the one in which the people currently found themselves. It was hopeful. It was joyful. But it was still off in the future. And therein lies the great problem all these things God said he was going to do, they were still out there on the horizon somewhere at some point beyond where the people could see clearly with their own eyes. They could hope for it. They could long for it. They could pray for it. But in the meantime, all they could do was wait for it. And while they waited... Things would unfortunately go from bad to worse. In the year 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire would rise to power and sweep through Judah and would completely conquer it. The city of Jerusalem was captured. The great temple was torn to the ground and the people they were hauled off to live in exile, where they spent an entire generation far from home under a pagan king who knew not and cared not for their God. Through that entire season, they continued to long for the day when God's promised Messiah would come and do what God had said God would do. But as so often is the case in our experience with each passing year, that promise seemed to get further away instead of closer. 800 years. That's how long the people waited. That's how much time passed between when Isaiah first spoke these words and when Jesus showed up. And all they could do was wait. You and I need to be reminded of that because just like them, we too find ourselves having to wait. 
Eventually, God's promised Messiah did come. Jesus came and embodied everything Isaiah's prophecy said would happen. He was from the stump of Jesse because his earthly father, Joseph, was a descendant of David. He was so wise and understanding that no one before or since has been able to teach God's word the way he did. He was completely just and righteous, so much so that nobody else has ever been able to live fully and completely by both the letter and the spirit of the law. He was so truthful that even when false accusations were being hurled at him, he refused to bend the truth in order to make himself look better. Even the created order responded peacefully to him with the word he could calm a storm or cure a sickness or walk on water. Most importantly, Jesus was entirely God-focused in everything that he did. Nothing about his ministry was for the sake of achieving status or power for himself. It was all for the sake of instituting what he called the kingdom of God. Jesus came to establish, to institute, to begin God's perfect reign over his fallen creation. challenge for us is while he began that reign he hasn't yet completed it Jesus may have healed the sick people he encountered but he did not end sickness once and for all not yet Jesus befriended the lonely The outcasts showed kindness and compassion to the marginalized and the rejected, but he did not completely once and for all overturn all the structures of injustice that keep grinding people up and spitting them out. Not yet. Jesus may have spoken truth, but he didn't put an end to all the lies that keep competing for our attention not yet Jesus may have come back from the grave but he hasn't yet canceled the reality of death that still awaits all of us not yet Jesus started something with his first advent but it won't be complete until his second advent and in the meantime we must wait I know somebody who spent years waiting for his son to finally kick the drug habit and settle down to a stable life but in the end that son beat him to the grave I know someone who spent decades waiting for relief from a painful arthritic condition, praying that God would open the door to new treatments, and so far, nothing has changed. 
I know someone who for years has been hoping against hope that a grown son would embrace the faith he was taught as a child and turn from his life of skepticism and unbelief. But he hasn't. I know someone who spent months urging his wife to go with him to marriage counseling in an effort to save their relationship, and she responded by serving him with divorce papers. And so it turns out all this talk about waiting, it's not just some abstract theological idea. It is a description of the life that you and I lead to be human be truly human is to wait it is to confront the reality that for all of our illusions of control and for all of our modern technology there are things that we desire and long for that we cannot cause to be because we are up against something that is bigger than us Last week, my 95-year-old grandfather was admitted to the hospital because of a host of cascading problems, each one making the other worse. And the hospital staff has done everything they can do for him, which, to be quite honest, is not much. And now we are just waiting. That's why we need Advent. This time of year teaches us again what it means to wait. To wait for God to come and move and to do what only God can do. Advent confronts us, you see, with the limits of our human power. Now let's be very clear, we are not helpless beings. We do have the power to make choices. As we've said on multiple occasions, we have the power of agency. That means we get to act upon the world. And the way we act brings about changes in the world. But in the end, we cannot bring about the radical transformation of the world that is needed. We within ourselves don't have the power to establish perfect justice. We within ourselves are not capable of acting with pure wisdom. We within ourselves cannot create absolute truth. We by ourselves cannot destroy death. But God can. That is why Advent teaches us to wait, but not to wait out of desperation, but rather to wait out of a spirit of hope. Advent teaches us again to wait not with passive resignation, but to act with expectation. We wait by leaning into what God has already shown us. Because in the first advent of Jesus, we have been given a glimpse of what the second advent will fulfill. Jesus will return to finish what he started. And in the meantime, here and now, it is our calling to bring our lives into alignment now with what we know is coming then. This past June, we observed the 75th anniversary of D-Day when the Allied forces began that massive invasion of Nazi-occupied France. 
now that we have the advantage of three quarters of a century of hindsight, most historians will look back and say with conviction that the war in Europe was essentially won as soon as the Allies established a foothold on those beaches in Normandy. That invasion marked the sure beginning of the end for the Nazi regime. The only problem is it would take another 11 months for that outcome to be realized. Germany would not surrender until May of 1945, and in the meantime, tens of thousands more people would die in the continued fighting, and the Nazi death camps would continue to operate. Now, it's a painful illustration, but perhaps it describes where we find ourselves at this moment in time. You see, with the coming of Christ into the world, the final outcome of things has already been determined. We already know where things are headed. Truth already has been spoken. Righteousness already has been established. Death already has been defeated. The advent of Jesus brought about the beginning of the end of the old order of things. But that old order will not go down without a fight. So we find ourselves still struggling, still suffering, still fighting, and still waiting. I don't know what you are waiting on this Advent. Maybe you're waiting on some relationship to be restored. Or maybe you're waiting on a better job to come your way. Or maybe you're waiting on an answer to that deep question that keeps you awake at night. Maybe you are waiting on a disease to heal or the sadness to lift or for a child to come home. Whatever it is, these things, I believe, are but small indicators of the larger purposes that God is working to fulfill because in Jesus Christ, He has already shown us what He desires. God is working for nothing less than the end of sorrow and the end of war and the end of injustice and the end of sickness and the end of even death itself. God is working on the renewal of all things. While we wait for that to come in God's good time, the story of Advent gives us the courage to keep pressing forward, to keep waiting in hope. We can keep loving. We can keep serving. We can keep forgiving. We can keep sharing. We can keep proclaiming. We can keep giving because we already know where it is leading. May God give us the grace to wait. Let's pray together. Father, we confess our impatience. We confess how quick we are to turn in the moment when things don't unfold the way we think they should. And so come this season and teach us again to wait on you. Reassure us of the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. 
give to us again a picture of the end that will be when you have your way with all things and cause us to live now knowing what will be then in Jesus name we pray amen we wait not under our own power but under the guidance of the spirit who comes to dwell within us we don't wait as orphans wondering when our father will come home we wait as children already accepted into his loving presence if you've never received that gift by acknowledging Jesus as Lord then then in these moments when we close out worship together I would invite you to come feel the spirit drawing you just come up front while we sing I'll be here to receive you and we'll pray together if you're needing to connect with the church home or make any other decision public I'll be here but the call to all of us is to wait in hope let's stand and worship him together